The scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews 10, 32 to 39. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live in faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. This ends the reading of his word. All right, so this Sunday we get to conclude our series on the foundations of faith from the letter to the Hebrews. Now, if you know uh, Hebrews, you may think, wait a second, uh, I thought there were 13 chapters in Hebrews. Uh, there are, but uh, we're going to wrap up our series here uh, at the end of chapter 10 and then anticipate that at some point, maybe next winter, we will study uh, Hebrews 11 together in an intensive way because that's where it talks about how by faith, the various Old Testament characters lived out their faith in God in various ways. And so rather than try to cover that chapter in one message, uh, we are anticipating the possibility of doing a mini-sermon series on those uh, characters uh, in Hebrews. So we're going to conclude today our Foundations of Faith series. We get to look forward to celebrating what Christ did and Palm Sunday and Monday, Thursday, Good Friday and the resurrection and Easter Sunday. And then anticipate starting a series, uh, we'll have a, a standalone Sunday right after Easter, and then anticipate starting a series on 2 Corinthians and talking about what it means to be a church that is alive, alive to God's purposes in our life, alive to the mission, vision, values that he's called us to. So excited about that and what is to come. But this Sunday, in wrapping up the Foundations of Faith series, we want to talk a little bit more about the church and our witness and what it looks like to serve him in this world in these days. If you remember, in the last few weeks, we've looked at what it means to stay connected as a church and encouraging one another. We also looked at the anticipation that one day Christ is going to return and set all things right. And he is a coming judge. He's going to judge the world in justice and make all things right ultimately when he comes again. But what does that mean for us in the meantime, in the here and now? That's what we look at next. In Hebrews 10, verses 32 to 39, you can follow along on the screen. I also encourage you to, bring, or to put out your uh, bulletin insert, and there we're going to follow along with some fill-in-the-blanks this morning. Scripture says, Remember those earlier days, after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. 
because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and it will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who, are, who believe and are saved. Again, the context of this passage is looking at who we are as a church in the in-between time, between Christ's first coming and his anticipated second coming, when heaven and earth will be made new and that we'll be drawn into this eternal relationship with Jesus. Well, if it's true that Jesus has come and he's coming again, what does that mean for us in the meantime? It means that we are the church, the body of Christ, and that this is what we are made for. That as we anticipate Christ's return each and every day, we are to live into the calling that he has given us as the witnesses that he's left here on earth. What the writer tells us is that the Hebrew church, those who the letter is addressed to, had experienced a lot of hardship. They had come to know Jesus and had placed their faith in him, but surrounding that, they had faced trials and challenges. Some of them had probably faced alienation from their families because they had accepted Christ as Messiah. Others had experienced economic loss as a result. If somebody was identified as a Christ follower, people wouldn't spend money at their business. They wouldn't patronize them anymore. And so there was hardship that those followers of Jesus were going through. Well, what the writer says is, you faced those challenges before, and God walked you through them, and he strengthened you so that you you grew and matured through those experiences. So if that's the case, you can trust that he is with you in the here and now. What does that mean for us? I look around the room, and I see people who I know have faced a lot in life. You face challenges, loss, difficulties, hardships. You're maybe serving in hard places right now. You may have lost a a loved one and faced a significant experience of grief and loss. But what I want to say is this. In the ways that God met you in the past and walked with you through those challenges, he is with you in the here and now. And he's not going to leave you or forsake you. He's going to be with you whatever challenges you face in the future. And if that's the truth, then we can get on with the business of being disciples of Jesus who make disciples. And we can continue to live out our commitment of faith in him even when things are hard. The last essential of faith that we celebrate in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church is this. Essential seven. The Lord Jesus commands all believers to proclaim the gospel throughout the world and to make disciples of all nations. Obedience to the Great Commission requires total commitment to him who loved us and gave himself for us. He called us to a life of self-denying love and service. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What does that mean? 
If we anticipate Christ coming again in the future and we remember those times that he was with us when things were really hard, we can continue to live a life of obedience and faithfulness to him as his witnesses. And it is in those times when we walk the life of faith, when things are really hard, that other people see something different in us, see Jesus in us, and want to know what we have. So there are seven points in this message that you can follow along with through the fill in the blanks. Seven ways that the church's witness is reflected. And the first one is this. The church's witness is reflected through remembering your first love. Remembering your first love. The Greek word for remember literally means to carefully think back, reconstruct in your mind. And it is a continuous action or habit. So when we remember the past of God's faithfulness, it enables us and encourages us to be faithful in the present. Think back in your life when things were really hard. How was God present with you? How did he walk through that experience with you? Did you experience and did you know that he never left you or forsook you in those times, but he walked with you? The Greek word here is struggle, and it, and it basically means and has the imagery behind it of an athlete struggling through a contest and, and working through difficulties. And the, and the word there for hard struggle is basically an athlete's effort during a contest, straining forward. And what the writer is saying is, in order to be able to move forward in faith, you need to remember God's faithfulness in the past. I remember times where God did not give up on me when he should have. I remember times in my teenage years where I wandered away from him and kind of pushed God away, and he continued to woo me back. I remember when I turned to him fully and more completely at the age of 17, and he just did this transforming work in my life. But there are areas in the course of my life as I've gone along that I've needed continued transformation. And God has continued to work in my life and been faithful in times of grief and loss, in times where marriage isn't easy, in times where ministry is really hard. I remember again and again ways that God showed up and was faithful to me. And that enables me to move forward in faith. How is God with you in those times? How was he with you and how did he walk with you when you faced difficulty or hardship? The writer of Hebrews would say, don't shrink back in your faith, but step forward in your faith and and realize the fullness of the, the promises that God has given you. That Jesus is shining his light in your life and has done that in the past in times of darkness and is doing that in the present and will do that in the future. And also remember your first love relationship with Jesus. Do you remember what that was like when you first fell in love with him? When you first gave your life to him? How sweet that was? I mean, I remember my first love aspect of my relationship in the marriage with Beth. I mean, I was writing her notes, love notes. I was taking her candy bars. I was giving gifts. I was doing everything I could to say, I love you. And now 27 years later, do I still love her with the same passion and fervency? I fall short of expressing that. And one of the things we communicated to couples at the marriage course we just completed was this. Remember that first love relationship. Why did you get involved and get engaged relationally in this love relationship in the first place? And remember back. Because we often forget. And we need to remember again and again and again. 
If you remember in Revelation, uh, Christ revealing himself through the Apostle John and what will happen in the future, uh, what happened in, in Christ's coming in the present, but also the future in his return. You'll remember that there were uh, letters or messages given to seven different churches in Asia Minor through, uh, from Jesus through John. And one of those messages was to the church in Ephesus. And to the church in Ephesus, Christ wrote, I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first or your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So if we want to witness to Jesus as part of his church, the body of Christ, if we want to reflect that relationship and and its worth and value to other people, we need to remember our first love relationship with Jesus and exude that kind of passion and joy that we had at first because other people are going to want that and, 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 and want that kind of revitalization that we have experienced. The church witnesses through remembering our first love. Second point. The church witnesses through standing your ground in the face of suffering. When we face challenges or difficulties, as I mentioned, it's easy to shrink back or, or get derailed in our faith, to not rely on Jesus, but somehow think we have to navigate through it ourselves. But in the midst of those experiences, the call and invitation as part of the witness of the church is to stand your ground in faith. The Greek word here was theaterizo. It basically means being in a theater or on stage. And what we find here is that there were certain believers in Christ who were publicly exposed for their faith in Jesus and were derided as a result. They were being persecuted. Some of them were being put in prison, as we're going to talk about. And in that public display of, of, of being put on trial and, and being ridiculed for their faith, they had an incredible opportunity to stand firm in their faith and stand their ground in their testimony for Jesus. And what we find is they had stood firm. And in the midst of trial and persecution, they had openly confessed their faith. And as a result, tell them what they'd won, they endured more hardship and struggles and suffering. But that, what the writer is saying is that makes it all the more true. Not that it then wasn't true. Paul in his writing speaks to this in several different points. In Philippians 1, 29-30, he says, It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul's basically saying it's a privilege to suffer for Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 4, 9, it says, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. Like men condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle of to the whole universe, to angels as well as men. These followers of Jesus were being put on trial for their faith. And the question is, would they shrink back or would they grow forward? And what Paul's encouragement is in in those writings and in other places is, don't shrink back, but to step forward. For instance, in Romans 5.3, It says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. 
The way to respond to suffering is to allow it to shape our character so that we become more and more like Christ. And that, perhaps more than anything, is the most significant part of our witness. Because when we reflect Christ in our character, when we reflect the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, people in the world who don't yet know Jesus want to know what's behind that. We can actually consider it joy, James tells us, when we face suffering and persecution of different kinds because that suffering can lead to a deeper faith and perseverance that points the way to Jesus, where we mature and we become more and more like him, not less. Unfortunately, in our world today, there's a lot of suffering and hardship that has occurred as a result of COVID and its impact, financial impact, Stress of various kinds, political divisions. Uh, We face other (laughs) particular challenges here in western Nevada County as a result of fires and things like that. In each of those circumstances, it could cause a cutoff between us and our relationship with God. But what this writing is saying is, no, step forward and allow those experiences to mature you in faith. The third point, the church witnesses through sympathizing with those who are suffering sympathizing with those who are suffering. You see, it's not only about standing firm in our own suffering. It's not just standing firm in faith in those times when things are hard for us. It's also about standing firm and standing with those who are suffering. The church is meant to be drawn together through strength and bonds when people face suffering and hardship. And this church does that so well with deacons who love on those who are hurting, recovering from a surgery, facing grief and loss, being present with those who are facing that kind of hardship. But I also want to say that there's a a being present with those who are struggling with sin and those we may not want to stand stand with. An example of that I saw this last week. Many of us heard or watched the experience in the Oscars where Chris Rock made a, a joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada, and he reacted in this just passionate anger. And in one sense, I want to say, like, he's defending his wife. But he acted out in a way of slapping Chris Rock in the face and reacting in anger. And I wouldn't say between Chris Rock or Will Smith, there was a lot of Christ-likeness reflected there. But you know where there was? Off camera, when Will Smith went to sit down and after he reacted verbally in more anger, what you didn't see was Denzel Washington, who's a follower of a Christ and member at Bel Air Presbyterian Church, walking over to Will Smith and walking him out of the theater and basically saying, the only thing we can do now is pray, brother, after you did that. And, and Denzel Washington said, for whatever reason, the devil got a hold of Will Smith for some short time and that reaction But rather than separating himself and Denzel Washington (laughs) walking away and saying, I don't want to be connected with, with him right now after he did this, what did he do instead? He wrapped his arms around him and he he prayed for him. There were those facing persecution and were imprisoned as a result of their faith. But instead of separating themselves from those people, There were Christians who actually started a prison ministry and went and visited their fellow believers and brothers and sisters in Christ and fed them and clothed them and made sure they were cared for. And this is so vital in the first century. You were dependent on outside help 
for your basic provision if you were in prison in the first century. They didn't provide warm meals and clothes and whatever to prisoners. So what happened? The church didn't allow that imprisonment of fellow followers of Jesus to separate them. They stuck together with them, even when that would cause them to fall under threat. In other words, if you went to visit your fellow Christ follower in prison, what happened with you? You became tagged, and now they started to investigate your life, and you could be imprisoned also. But instead of separating themselves out of fear of threat, they stood with fellow followers of Jesus. Melissa Agnes is back with us. Mark and Melissa chose to stand with people in the Ukraine by serving with Samaritan's Purse through a field hospital, and Mark is still there. They stood with people in Eastern Europe to reflect Christ's love and care for them, and being the hands and feet of Jesus in that place. Instead of separating, saying, oh well, sorry for what is happening with them, they stepped forward and stood with them. In church, that's the way we are meant to be. That's the way we're meant to love, to allow experiences of suffering that other people go through to lead us into places of sympathy and standing with. Because the mercy is perhaps the greatest witness to Jesus right now. Because everybody is at one another culturally. Everybody's pointing fingers and shooting arrows and you know this kind of stuff. And instead of pointing fingers at others and criticizing them, Instead, we can sympathize with them and stand with them in whatever they're going through. The fourth point, the church's witness is seen through joyfully anticipating the lasting possessions that await us. Here's what was happening. Some of the Christians who were imprisoned or had identified themselves with Jesus were having their stuff taken away. In other words, somebody's put in prison, they would go ransack their house and take their goods. And the writer is saying, instead of then reacting in anger to what had been taken, and I would have reacted in anger if people had stolen my stuff, he's saying instead, remember that in heaven we have lasting possessions, that we have an eternal relationship with Jesus and treasures in heaven. I don't know totally what that's going to look like, but it sounds really good awaiting us in heaven. And if we know and trust that that eternal communion is awaiting us in heaven with Jesus and with one another who follow him, and if we believe that there are heavenly treasures awaiting us, how do we then respond to our earthly stuff? We can hold it lightly. We can, we can live freely. And if something breaks, and you don't react in anger or frustration so much as, oh well, I know what awaits me. If we think this world is all there is, and he who dies with the most toys wins, we're going to live in the here and now, and we're going to get totally uh, you know, upset and unhinged when things don't go well. But if we know and trust that there are lasting possessions awaiting us, lasting eternal relationships uh, that will carry on into heaven, then we can live a life of faith and witness. And we don't become unhinged when things don't go well or we lose something or something happens to our stuff because we know and trust in the one who holds all things and holds our faith and our salvation eternally secure. Point five, the church witnesses through persevering in the will of God. 
when things get hard, it would be easy to create a different plan. <laughs> Saying somehow following Jesus isn't working out for you as well as you would like. And so you start making your own plans and ideas on what to do instead. And what the writer says is it's those times that when we persevere in the will of God, that it reflects a Christ-like witness to others who are watching and wondering. I told you before that uh, one of my practices present is if one of our young people, college students, asks me to write a letter of recommendation for them, I do so gladly, but I also tell them they have to read a book by C.S. Lewis as a result. (laughs) And so a lot of our college students who are away have now read most of C.S. Lewis's writings. One One of our college students is currently reading the Screwtape Letters. Because she asked me to write a letter of recommendation for her because she wants to be a pilot and she has a scholarship that she can get uh, by learning to be a pilot. And so now I'm connecting with her over those writings. And if you know about screw tape letters, it's a really interesting book. It's a senior demon, screw tape, writing letters to a junior demon, his nephew, Wormwood, and basically saying and counseling him how to tempt a follower of Jesus away from faith and away from relationship with God. And he's trying to help him understand the ins and outs of temptation. And in the midst of that, Wormwood is actually losing hold on the follower of Jesus that he was assigned to. And, and things aren't going well for Wormwood and from the, te- the standpoint of tempting this person away from Jesus. And Screwtape acknowledges that Wormwood is not doing very good as a tempter. And he actually says this, Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon the universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. In other words, when you live out the teachings of Jesus, when you do the will of God, when you don't see the benefit right away and you don't know what the results will be and it doesn't seem like it's doing any good, you're in the best place you could possibly be. And there are people that are going to say, why in the world is that person still following Jesus and still doing the will of God when, when the things around them in their life seem to be going totally wrong? Following Jesus and doing the will of God when things are hard is an incredible part of our witness to Jesus, individually and as a church. Staying faithful and continuing to pursue God and passionately pursue Him, even when we're, we're tired and weary, Gives, points people to who it is who's behind us and who it is who is with us and could cause people to want what we have. Sixth point. The church, church witnesses by living by faith in anticipation of Christ's coming. Here the writer draws upon he, uh, Habakkuk uh, 2 verses 3 through 4 and says that the righteous will live by faith but he puts that in the context of a verse from Isaiah 26 about the return of the Messiah. And so what he's saying is, if we trust in Christ's return, that he's going to return, uh, return one day, we can live by faith in the here and now. We can trust him in this intermediate time between the now and not yet and live out our faith even when things are difficult. Because in just a little while, all the things that are wrong right now are going to be made right. Again, the image here is of an athletic contest and it's of an arena and it's basically a track and field metaphor. And it's saying strain forward, press forward towards the finish line because it's not that far away. 
One of my favorite parts of serving as a track coach at Nevada Union High School is these uh, athletes that are becoming tired and weary in their run. Maybe they've run, they run the mile and they've already run three uh, you know, uh, tra- uh, laps around the track or maybe the two mile. They've already been out there for like seven and a half laps. And all of a sudden, they, they're kinda, their head is down and they've run seven and a half laps and they're tired and they're weary. And you can say, now it's time to kick. And I see them lift up their eyes and see that the finish line is right there. And they press forward to the finish line and they finish with vigor and passion in their run. And that's what the writer's telling us. He's saying, I know you're tired and weary. Living a life of faith is hard. It's not easy. But the return of Christ isn't all that far away. And in a little while, he's going to come back. So in the present for you, Stay passionate, strain forward, use all your effort to to pursue Jesus and a life of faith. And when people see that passionate commitment, living out your faith, even in the intermediate time, they're again going to be drawn to Jesus. The last point, the church witnesses by believing and being saved and being bold versus shrinking back. The writer says that there were those who were shrinking back in faith. They were becoming weary, tired. They were worried about persecution, perhaps, uh, as a result of their faith, and were, and were shrinking back. But instead, he says, by believing, living as though Jesus is true and what he's taught us is true, we can be bold. We can trust in our salvation and that that is safe and secure in Christ, and we can become emboldened and passionate. I love Joshua 1.8 where it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. To find strength and courage. Knowing that Jesus is coming back and instead of shrinking back, we step forward knowing and trusting that he's with us now and is one day going to return and set all things right. What does that mean for us in the intermediate time? Two things in application. We can anticipate Christ's return, celebrating that in the future Jesus is coming back and it's not that far away. In each and every age, we're meant to live with that anticipation of his return. But secondly, we can get on with our present ministry of witness and disciple-making until he comes again. Why are we here? To be disciples who love Jesus, who make disciples who will love Jesus. And in that disciple making, we have something to share. We have a witness to give away, something for other people to learn. And you have people in your lives who don't yet know these truths and don't yet know the love of God. And what I want to encourage you to do is be bold in your witness and in your, in your invitations over the next few weeks. As Pastor Greg said, these invitations in your bulletin are not for you to keep in your bulletin nor put on your refrigerator. They're meant to give away to somebody who needs to hear the good news of Jesus on Easter Sunday. And I will make a partnering uh, commitment with you. If you invite somebody here to be with us on Easter Sunday, I will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope we have in him. And I believe by God's strength and enabling and the power of the Holy Spirit, we will see lives changed for all eternity. And we will see people drawn to the hope that is in Jesus. 
We have some baptisms that are occurring, and some of our students are confirming their faith commitment in Jesus. That by itself will be a source of hope to those who don't yet know Christ. But let's partner together, and let's be bold as a church in our witness. Let's remember once again, we talked about the three circles a few weeks ago, that God's design for us is a, is a love relationship with us. He wants to live life with us, be in intimate communion with us. But in our sin, we experience brokenness from relationship with God and relationship to other people. The good news that we can turn to and receive is that Christ came. He lived, he died, he rose again. And through receiving him and growing in a relationship with him, we can recover and pursue God's design for us, which is to experience the kingdom of God now, but also into all eternity and to live as if that kingdom has come and that his will can be done through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn in Just